Hi, everybody. It's Richard Zucchi with The Green Peak. And joining us this week, we have Kevin Bush, who's the COO and CFO of Sweetleaf Madison Capital. Welcome aboard, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Kevin, you've been involved um, in the industry for a while. Prior to uh, prior to Sweetleaf Madison, you were with Bloom Medicinals as their CFO as well. But uh, Sweetleaf Madison is a organization providing financing to businesses in the uh, the industry. Tell us a little bit about where you focus and you know how do you invest differently than others. Sure. So. Um- just real quick on the background, Sweetleaf Madison Capital was formed by uh, a combination of Sweetleaf Capital, which was established in 2016 um, in Denver, and Madison Ventures Plus, which is a private equity firm, which took a control position. And basically, we're scaling up the business, bringing best practices to the, the lending industry in cannabis. Now, now cannabis finance is kind of the Wild West, so there's lo- lots of room to institutionalize the business. As you know, most institutions... Uh, don't lend at all um, uh, federally chartered institutions because of the federal illegality. Uh, what we do specifically, we are lenders and we focus primarily on the low, lower middle market space. These are um, cannabis operators typically looking between for between 500000 and $25 million in funding. Now we are lenders. Uh, we don't do equity. Um, we participate with some some peers and kind of lining them up with us, but we are strictly lenders at this point. Um, we are right. Asking- and when you so Kevin, you know, um, you talk about five hundred thousand, twenty five million. That's that's a big spread, and people who are looking for cash in those ranges. Obviously, they have different expectations, but also different levels of sophistication based on where they are in developing a business. How do you deal with that, and what do you look for? So we see a, a wide range of, of, you're right, that is a wide range uh, of potential borrowers. Um, what I've experienced in the past is when, when people are raising up to about a million and a half dollars, they can usually cobble together that money with their friends and family. Um, once you're much beyond $2 million, they're going to start to need to raise it from outside sources. And that makes us oftentimes one of their first institutional looks. Um so what does that mean? It means we get a lot of, we're dealing with a lot of uh, very uh, excited and successful entrepreneurs that often have limited to no experience in terms of raising institutional capital. So what are the minimums they need to have? Well, first of all, it depends on what they're borrowing. We are, we're a unique lender in that we're seed to sale. We're, we're whole enterprise solutions. We lend to cultivators. We'll lend equipment. We, we cut our teeth in, in this industry doing equipment lending. We also do real estate lending as well as working capital in you know, larger secure term loans. So depending on what, where they fall in that spectrum, the, the most straightforward, easiest loan to do would probably be a traditional equipment loan. Say someone's looking for $500,000 worth of equipment. We have yep. a pretty good idea of what that equipment's worth. Uh, we're going to be uh, collateralized by that equipment. And it's a relatively plain vanilla transaction. So from that Correct. perspective, the, the, the due diligence on our part and the, uh, the pain that we put a borrower through in terms of providing information is uh, not that not that bad. Now, once you get up to someone looking for $10 million or $5 million and the use of proceeds is, you know, they want to, you know, refinance out an old loan. At the same time, they want to put new lights in their cultivation and they want some working capital. All of a sudden, that's a lot more complicated. And one, if they had not done that type of loan before, we kind of have to hold their hands in terms of making sure their financials are, are in a position that not only we would be comfortable with, but but whoever else. Because we gotta 
we have to be comfortable that they know what they're doing and where we're at. Um, Absolutely. And and those financials, obviously, they have to keep up to date. It's not just prepare something for the financing. It's I'm sure you have a requirement with regards to ongoing reporting. Right. And, and as I said earlier, because we're often the first, what I call institutional or outside raise for a lot of people, once they're above that first million and a half, it's a bit of an education process for us to them. Um, there's usually not a lot of, um, they really don't know what they're getting into in the sense that just the amount of data and paperwork and, and due diligence that actually takes place when you're, when you're investing larger amounts of money. Um, the good news is though, um, us at Sweetleaf, we've been on the operating side. I was the CFO of a, an operator and I was on the receiving side of this. Like I said, yeah. all the way from borrowing, working on small deals for Seal Dispensary to borrowing, you know, you know, 10, $15 million at a time from another institutional lender out there in the cannabis space. So I've seen the gamut. And I, I think that experience helps me uh, work with our borrowers and our team because I've been on the other side of it. Because it's uh, well, and you've also, you know, in the last few years, you've also seen the the framework for that change dramatically in terms of, you know, some states it wasn't possible at all. Now it is, um, and the requirements obviously also are changing, and the expectations. H- how are you finding the companies are adjusting that, and how do you adjust? That's one of the most exciting and challenging parts with the entire cannabis industry. Every single state is like its own miniature country, not mm-hmm. just in terms of rules and regulations, which they dramatic, you know, they, they dramatic considerably, but in terms of just the, the economics of the business. I mean, you've, you know, um, you've got some states where a, a license isn't really worth a whole lot, like Oklahoma, almost anyone can get it. And there's other states like Ohio or Florida, where they're very scarce and only large, big back people can have them. So unlike traditional industries where you could, Generally speaking, the, the rules and the framework in terms of legality and, and who's allowed to own what of these distant businesses, you have to figure that out each time for each state, mm-hmm. um, as well as kind of what their supply and demand dynamics are. That's why you see the price of flour vary so considerably. I mean, I can't think of another commodity. It's not really a commodity. It depends on what you're talking about. Well, it will become a commodity at some point. And realistically, we do need to think about it that way, because even though the pricing may not be there yet, it will get there. And it is the source material, right? It's like sugar for Coca-Cola. It is a commodity, but without it, nothing happens. Exactly. But you have right now, you see that you can see the same strain. um, Yep basically at massively different price points, depending on where you are in the continental United States. Um, yeah. Leaving aside, leaving aside the differences in the, uh, the, what the profiles are when they're produced in Florida versus California, if there's the exactly. same name that, of strain. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, technically. Everything to, expresses differently, right? So. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. But to the point, if you look up the average like price per pound of a state, there's different tracking services. Um, yep. You see big variability, which is which makes the business tricky because what works a, a structure or business plan that works in one state for one group, you get the same group that same plan. Those margins won't work in another state. Um, so yep. how do we see it? We're, we deal with the same way all the all the operators do. It's it's, it's an industry that is young. It's in flux, and, and change has been the one constant. Um, so that, again, that's the opportunity. That's also the challenge. Right. That is the challenge, and that is the opportunity. You know, when you look forward on that, you touched on a piece just a couple of minutes ago. As uh, the market develops, at some point, legalization federally comes into play, and there's two parts to that. One is your thoughts of when does that happen, but also how does that affect 
lenders like you, because then the the more traditional banks are going to come heavily involved quickly. Right. So when that comes into play, it's one of those things where you always people have been saying this is going to happen, you know, forever. <laughs> yeah. Right. It feels it's like forever, thing. anyways. <laughs> so I don't know when it will eventually ha- happen. I, I, per- my personal view is that um, the states enjoy controlling their own destiny with their, their own little micro cannabis industries so much in terms of how they regulate it and particularly how they tax it. that I think a lot of um, the Congress will be very slow to have interstate commerce because what red state, blue state, purple state, one thing they have in common, they all like having this, this industry. For example, in Ohio, sure. you know, Rust Belt, there wasn't a whole lot of growth industries until cannabis came along. Right. Right. Um, so so the I, states I, are I, able to set up barriers obviously. regardless, mm-hmm. right? Based on they can create, you know, we were chatting with somebody a few weeks ago and, uh, you know, it's very easy for them to create a barrier where there's a requirement from production that doesn't exist in other states. And yes. now they've got a barrier which allows them to keep their, you know, their their garden their garden together without exactly. others. It will be like if, 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 if there's interstate commerce, it will all flow to basically California, Florida, eventually South America. If it's anything like other yep. other things, so I we'll see if the, if the, 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 the senators and, and congressmen allow that. But anyhow, in terms of what happens though when there is federal legality, um, we view it two ways. One, it will be cheaper for everyone to borrow. Um, including the specialty lenders like ourselves, because we also have a high cost of capital. So our cost of capital comes down. We're spread players. You know, we borrow from one group and then we lend and we make the spread. So our cost of capital isn't, we're, we're not getting straight bank rates ourselves. We typically raise capital from private equity, uh, you know, private hedge funds, family offices. Um, and, you know, there's a rate there. So when that happens, you'll see, the specialty lenders costs come down. It'll be passed along to the borrowers, which would be a big relief to, to everyone. Um, although it, it's still going to be a very specialized business in that, that whether there's federal illegality or not, just like equipment leasing and other businesses outside of cannabis, it's, it's specialized enough that there's going to be niche players. And it's it, going to take a while. And uh, that, you know, that's part of the interest. And then something you touched upon there, I'd like to come back to after we take a short break. But we'll be back in just a minute with Kevin Bush, who's the COO and CFO of Sweetleaf Madison Capital. I'm Richard Zwicky on The Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on the Green Peak with Kevin Bush, who's the COO and CFO of Sweetleaf Madison Capital. And Kevin, just before the break, you touched upon something which you know people don't think of because they think of banks as one type of entity and the investment, the banks that invest in capital uh, institutions that invest in cannabis. In some ways, they don't think about it. But people who want to invest in the market go through firms like you. And you mentioned you borrow from others to place your bets effectively and you know they're educated bets they're not just wild guesses hopefully Um, but (laughs) but you know where while you have requirements of the companies you're investing in investors who are looking to participate in the market what should they be asking of you and what do they always what do they require of you um to make their placements so typically we, we call it a credit box so if we if we get a line from someone um 
they all basically have uh, their own kind of high level guidelines. Like, listen, you, we'll, we'll lend you this money or we'll have a line for, for $20 million. But what's required is you need to have a loan to value of, of 75%. Some of them say, listen, we don't want to go in this state, this state, and this state. Um, you know, we say, well, fine. Um, for that particular you know, line, we will not go into these states. So they will set their, their own parameters um, at a high level of what, what they're comfortable with. And then we will operate within those parameters. So they, they don't just cut over the money and say, go do your thing. Um, so they, they, so they have their parameters and then we have much tighter ones. Obviously we're doing it on a, on a deal by deal base, but, but they're going to make sure that they're comfortable at a very high level. Some people say, don't, don't do equipment leasing. You know, we, we prefer you just to do real estate. You know, people want to lend to us to lend to real estate because theoretically over time, real estate goes up in value equipment tends to go down. So if you're if you're a, an institution that likes asset-based lending and, and we're asset-based lenders, we'll say, hey, here's we'll, we'll work on um, providing you capital, but we only want it in real estate. So we have to kind of fit into their box. And then we have our direct borrowers themselves, you know, fit into an even tighter box. But that's, that's typically how that works. Right. And with a firm like yours, um, What's the size of investor? Like how, you know, you mentioned 20 million, but obviously there's going to be a big range of how much people invest through a company like yours. Sure, that's a, that's a great question. And the, the answer is, so we are, are just a reflection of the industry. There's this insatiable demand for capital in, in cannabis because it's a young capital intensive business. Um, hence, there's a this huge demand for our services. And hence, we have a large demand for capital. So we raise capital both equity and debt. Now, I will say this in terms of our equity raise. Well, the way we started is we raise equity and then we focus on debt. And this is not really any different than other businesses. Then equity is kind of a ladder. You go back and forth. So we started out raising um, equity with uh, small institutions and family offices. Uh, On the equity side, we'll take lots. We'll we'll do... We'll do we'll do you know smaller investments down to two hundred fifty thousand dollars if we're doing a raise, up right. to you know four to five million. Um, equity we'll take in smaller chunks. Also, the equity um, people feel like they're closer to touching the plant, even though we're a lender and we don't touch the plant exactly. Um, mm-hmm. They own equity in our business. They still feel like they're closer. And then on the lending side, um, we deal with institutions. So there we have. Um, we have a, an investment bank that that we're clients of, and they they work on our behalf, and we're we'll raise money from um, the most typical type of person lending to us would be large private um, credit funds. Basically, I would say like credit hedge funds or organizations that may not technically be a hedge fund, but are large private credit places. Uh, they'll basically wholesale lend to us, and those tip those tickets are typically 20 to 50 million at a time from a lending perspective. So the, the, the chunks are smaller when we're raising equity and then the, the wholesale sure. facilities are large. And those are all- Right. Stuff. You know, and those, let's go back to the individual investors. I mean, some will start, as you mentioned, start as low as $250,000, which, you know, for a lot of people, that's a lot of money, but for others, it's minimal. And, right. but when you're looking at getting involved in an industry and investing in it, and you know, a lot of people have always been very excited about the cannabis opportunity, but they don't know where to place the money. Mm-hmm. Firms like yours are a great way to get involved. What kind of returns should people expect? Well, um, we, our equity raise, we're, we are a private placement, obviously. Um, we mm-hmm. have a, a targeted return of 12% 
cash yield that's expected to rise to 2% a year for the next four or five years. That's how we structured it. And we're, we're currently on our uh, raise where since inception, we've paid a 12% annualized cash yield uh, on a monthly basis. So they get paid well. Which um, is a great return. It's a great return. And they also participate should we ever be acquired or go public. They're also going to participate on the upside there. So particularly in, in, in the interest rate environment we're in until recently, um, those were very, very attractive returns. They still are very, very attractive. Um, I, I personally think we're going to get even more looks now because uh, there's a lot of concern about the, the economy overall. And, and there's only a handful of industries that that are kind of recession proof or lockdown proof and and, and can't enough, most of them are the sin industries, as we call them, right? Yeah. The, the alcohol, cannabis will be one, gambling. Those are all recession proof. Right. Fact, so, you know, um, I, I personally think, um, you know, it will look more attractive in terms that our, our cash flows and our, our client, our borrowers cash flows are substantially more stable during uh, recessionary times than uh, than other industries. But yeah, so on our equity side, we have a we have a target preferred return that we pay out of twelve percent that's uh, mm-hmm. expected to to increase. So that was our first series where we're we're raising debt right now, but we're getting ready to raise another round of equity. Um, our cost of capital will be a little bit less there, and that will 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 start out with a preferred return of ten percent to go up one percent each year after there. Again, very a very handsome return. Um, but, but a little, was, bit, little bit cheaper for us. We've already got that kind of first round in there, right? And, and that's 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 really good. I mean, for you and for the for the investor, yeah. um, you know. And one of the things is, in this model, unlike some others where people place, you're not really a brokerage house. You're not going out and trying to shop a deal to everybody. You're participating directly in the deals. But do you build syndicates with others or do you like we to do. do it all yourself? We do. It depends on the size of the deal. Um, but no, we are, we're, we're balance sheet lenders. It's, it's our money. We're not brokers. Um, right. There, when we originate a deal though, we can either keep in our balance sheet. We also have relationships in place with um, certain hedge funds and other entities that basically will, buy these loans from us so we can recycle that money and make a gain on sale and put it back to work. So we have a couple of things we can do with it. We can keep it on our balance sheet. We could right. or we could syndicate. We may want part of it. Um, yep. Other people. So there's a various ways to do it, but, but we're very good at originating. Um, so, so <laughs> we're, we're, we got that down and then we're working with different capital providers in terms of how we structure these things. Someday, someday, yep. There'll be the full securitization of these loans. They'll be packaged up just like everything else. Of course. Everything changes with that, right? And it's going to be a lot easier for a lot of people. But, you know, when you think of syndication and as the the entrepreneur or the business operator who's going out and raising, you know, a first round or even an early round, at what stage does syndication make sense from their perspective? Oh, in terms, I would recommend if they're the ones, I mean, for us, we're able to syndicate on our side, and for them, it's it's clean. They're just borrowing from us. But if they themselves are looking to get a different different people to syndicate, I would recommend not doing that unless you have to, just because it complicates life. Um, if, if 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 you if they're sophisticated enough to structure it correctly, where they have kind of a lead lender, and then other people fall behind them, go go for it. But uh, in my experience, 
a lot of the 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 level of sophistication in terms of like um, some of the financial tools is, is it's probably not there. They'd, they'd be better spending their time focusing on their grows in their retail operations than setting up uh, a syndicate with multiple bar, multiple lenders at once. Um, not to say they can't do that, but I would. It, it, it's complicated enough when you're borrowing from a third party, <laughs> much yep. less if you're going to create a unique structure. But um, it's done. But it's done. But uh, you know, I, the one thing I learned years ago is you can sometimes you're more effective just going out and producing the product and selling it than raising the capital if you try and syndicate too much or you're not your expectations aren't in line because it takes too long. Right. I mean, if you have a good product and 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 good financials, the, the capital will take care of itself. I mean, you got to be smart about it and shop around. Mm-hmm. But if you're spending all your time trying to do financial gymnastics, as opposed to focused on, on kind of operating, operating the business, you're going to run your problems. And cannabis is a tough business between 280E and the compliance in each state. You know, that's what people yeah. don't get. They're like, oh, we're selling weed. This is great. Hold on a minute. Wait till you find out what your yeah. tax is. <laughs> and wait till you find yeah. out compliance costs and security costs. And you're like, whoa. Yeah, I think people underestimate the challenges of the industry everywhere because quite honestly it's a it's it's an interesting position because it's a product everybody wants, well, so to speak, um, where a lot of times you're trying to develop a business and you have to sell people on why they want the product. You don't in this one, but it's a challenge because of all the barriers and uh, structures that are either standing against you or not in place to facilitate the industry that we're developing at this time. I'd like to come back to that after we have to take another break, Kevin, but we'll be back in a minute with Kevin Bush from Sweetleaf Madison Capital on The Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. I guess I talk kind of the challenges of the, the lower middle market space as a borrower and, and why we focus in there as a lender. Um, just because good, I that's some- where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm, and I'm pretty sure I'm good with saying our, our target returns on our equity raise. I just want to check with compliance and I'll get back to you that I can quote that out there. I said, we're doing an equity raise and yeah. I don't think there's an issue. In fact, I think it might help us. You know, if people are listening, they might say, Hey, that sounds like an interesting group that I want to get involved with. Um, I just want to check. Uh, yeah, from from a compliance perspective, you didn't announce any terms or do any commitments, so you wouldn't. No, I just said it's haven't been through it a few times. Okay, so yeah, right. I, no red flags there. In terms, okay. no, no, okay. nothing that I would ever say. It actually just it makes people say, "Okay, I want to learn more." Right, that, I that's I know really, it's there, yeah, but that's, that's it. Really, mm-hmm. And that's something you should. I'll try and leave on at the end for you. Okay, great. Okay, all right, we'll go back in. And we're back on the Green Peak with uh, Kevin Bush from Sweetleaf Cap- Madison Capital. And Kevin, you know, your background as founders and operators in the business of cannabis also give you different understandings of the challenges, what areas of the business you liked and really thought had not just uh, growth opportunity when you were there, but in the future. And as an oper- as a former operator, how do you look at the lending, but also where should people be looking at towards the next three to five years in the industry that they should be investing as opposed to where it is today? So the it's very bifurcated when you're trying to raise capital. And I touched upon this mm-hmm. a little bit earlier where, again, if you're, if you, if you're a, a group that's got a single dispensary or one or two, you're raising a, a million, basically a million dollars at a dispensary. Um, that people can pretty much cobble together. 
Um, and then if you're borrowing 50 million at a time or 100 million, um, mm-hmm. you're starting to see some you know large institutional kind of lenders. There's a few specialty lenders out there like AFC Gamma and I uh, Innovative Industrial Properties that are publicly listed specialty cannabis mm-hmm. lenders. And they're doing very large deals and, and people step in when someone needs 50 million plus. You also, by the time you're borrowing that much money, you're an established business. You're, you're much less risky. If you, if you need that right. much money, theoretically, all else being equal, if you're, the, you're, you're less risky and people step up, then there's this yawning gap between mm-hmm. again, the, uh, the family and friends raise and the $50 million plus raise, $25 million plus raise, where it's, it's kind of like just crickets. And right. I had, I lived through that as CFO, as a, as an MSO operator where we could not cobble this money together with friends and family. And we weren't uh-huh. big and interesting enough for, for a lot of large uh, lenders who were doing to come in. Um, so that's where the challenge is for borrowers. And that's one, one of the insights that I've gathered and, and, and brought over Sweetleaf is this is an underserved market segment. Um, it, it takes a lot of work because when you're borrowing, when someone's borrowing 25 million plus, they're going to have professional CFOs, controllers, they'll probably undergo quality of earnings and things like that, where it's, it's uh, people will step up. And then when smaller, it's friends and family, but that area there, it takes a lot of work on, on the lender's part and the borrower's part. Um, more work than either the lower, smaller deals or bigger deals, but mm-hmm. the reward is there for both people in the sense that they actually, you do the extra work um, and, and, you know, you fit within our parameters, we'll lend to you. We'll do the extra work to kind of figure out, you know, get you up to speed here, but also the pricing is, is beneficial to us. It's more competitive us competitive. If we're lending $50 million at a time, uh, mm-hmm. that's more competitive than if we're lending 10 million or 5 million. Um, just like if we're lending half a million, that's much more competitive environment than lending 4 million. Um, so it's, it's this area that is underserved. Uh, the industry can do a better job of, of getting there. I would like to think that, uh, Sweetleaf Madison is leading the way in that area. And, um, we really help out the, the, the borrowers in that space because it really is kind of an empty space. And then obviously for us, if we, we structure rights, it's good economics for our, our shareholders. And it is, you know, it is difficult for a lot of the operators because there's a lot on on everybody's plate and having a simple, clean, organized structure with regards to that financing and the financing opportunities with one partner is a lot more manageable than having to deal with 50 or 100 uh, different groups along the way, because then you end up pulled in every single direction and it's hard to keep alignment um, between all of the stakeholders, which inevitably brings problems to the the operator at the end of the day, um, and then, you know I know that from personal experience that's really hard. Right. Um, sometimes you can be successful at it, and sometimes it just blows up in your face. And unfortunately, you know, as the operator, you really want to focus on the business and not looking backwards over your shoulder to try and keep everything in line. But you know, Kevin, this has been really great. Um, People who are looking to participate with a firm like yours, or, you know, I know uh, there's different ways to get involved. How should they reach you and how should they learn more about what uh, Sweetleaf Madison Capital is doing and everything sure. around it? Um, I mean, if, if you are an operator looking to borrow from us, I would just say that the easiest way is just go to our website or and, um, you know, call us up and let's have a conversation. Um, right. And that's we, sweetleafmadison.com, right? Correct. Correct. So we're, we're happy to jump on the phone and, and 
give you our two cents of where you're at. And if we're not the right fit for you, um, we can kind of point in the right direction also uh, in terms of if, if you're not a fit for us, we, we might know where, where you are. Um, yep. I mean, if, if you're interested in being a capital provider to us, um, you know, when we do our next round, um, I would say the easiest way to contact us would probably be to probably be to hit me up on uh, LinkedIn, actually, uh, um, you know, just say, hey, you know, um, Kevin, you know, heard you on the show. We're, we're looking on the capital side. Of course, you can visit our website, too. Um, but th- that's kind of that's more of our retail business. Um, just reaching out to me via via LinkedIn or, or anyone else on Sweetleaf Madison team um, would right. be a great way to contact us, and we'll be happy to talk about what we're working on. Okay, that's fantastic. I mean, that's great for both sides in the equation. So that's uh, that's very helpful, Kevin. Thank you so much for joining us on the Green Peak this week. It's been a really informative and interesting discussion. Well, thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed it. I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, glad to have you. And thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back again next week. I'm Richard Zwicky on the Green Peak. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.